everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about Traitor's Blade, the first book in the Great Coat series by Sebastian de Castell. Now, I'm going to try and keep it a little bit non-spoiler here and just go through the first couple things that I like to think about. First off, I love this book. It is an amazingly fun read. It has a little bit of depth to it, and it not just a little bit. It's got more than just a little bit of depth to it, but it's beautiful. It's very well written. Uh, this is my second time through it, and I loved it even more than the first. In fact, every every time I'm as I was reading it, every few minutes I'd be like, "Man, how did I miss this the first time I was reading this? How did I miss this the first time I was reading it? Am I just blind when I was reading this book the first time? I must have been." So. Just uh, in a non-spoilery kind of way, this book is like a fantasy Three Musketeers, or a more fantasy Three Musketeers, because the Three Musketeers, yeah, they're not really fantasy, but you could think about them that way. So, I love it. They, there are three people, our main characters, Falcio, Kest, and Brasti, looking for the king's shadows or jewels, trying to figure out what that is, it was his last order. They wear these beautiful big coats that have, you know, secret pockets all over the place. They can fight hand to hand with them, put cuffs, like put the uh, like brass knuckles on kind of a thing. Very cool. Just these characters are beautiful. They all kind of have their own voice and their own feeling. And you can tell which one is who, like just by their actions, you would know. Now, this world is amazing, beautiful. It feels, ah, parts of it are beautiful. Parts of it are beautiful. It feels real. It feels lived in. It is great. So, see the plot. The plot is a good plot. The I would hesitate to say this is like a strictly plot-based book because so much of, not so much of the book, but there is so much character development among all the characters, even the characters that you don't think really should get any character moment. So that's, I mean, just great. My uh, and I just could not put this book down after I started reading it. I was reading it, and after about the 20-ish, 25%-ish mark, um, yeah, it, it took me a little bit to get just back into it, but I attribute that more to work and life than the book itself. So I just could not put it down after that mark though. So I just, I read and I read as much as I could and as fast as I could, and I just kept going. So let's get into some spoilers here and let's just talk about it. So the three musketeers are Falcio, are, they are our Falcio, Kest, and Brasti. Kest is the best with the sword. He's kind of got this like dry personality Although it's it's kind of funny. This is one of my only like small grievances with this story is that occasionally Falcio would have like this moment of inspiration and then it would be taken away from him. Not by somebody else proclaiming it first, but like he would be literally like, kind of forced to forget it. Um, namely with the tailor where he's kind of figuring that this stuff out about Aline and then she's like, oh no, you're a little early for that. And makes him forget it. And I was like, uh, I don't necessarily get this. But, like, Kest knew from, like, 
childhood almost, that he was going to become the best with the sword and fight the saint. Um, saint something who cuts, whose sword cuts water. Don't remember the name right now, sorry. But that was just interesting that he kind of had that much foresight or like foreknowledge, but Falcio, who is our main, main character that we're following, you know, wasn't allowed it. So um, just to give a, a general plot, Falcio and his crew working for a caravaner trying to bring the great coats back because the great coats have been technically uh, disbanded or you know reviled because the king has been, was murdered you know a couple years ago and they are working with the caravaner to bring back hit there to get hired as guards and then they can start building up their reputation again he's murdered so they get roped into working for another caravan on their way out they realize that this caravan leader is going to put all of the dukes who murdered the king. They are going to kind of cement their power. And while doing this, they travel through a city, the Rock. Um, shoot, I really wish I had written down the name of the, the Rock City. But uh, there's a great scene, great scene. It was one of my favorites where, well, we'll get to that in just a second. I'm sorry. So they get to the city. They find out that it's the Blood Week, which means that basically the only rule is whatever you keep you own at the end of the week. So murder's allowed, anything's allowed. And they are getting ready to kill this merchant family, this no, lower noble family. One of the girls in the noble family survives. Faustio's like, I'm going to save this girl because I couldn't save those others because I should have, and it was dishonorable of me not to. He kind of leaves. He stays, saves the girl, presents her at the rock. Then they leave. They are chased. He gets captured, they leave. They escape and leave again, and then they kind of present and have this final little battle, but not a little battle, big battle between uh, some great coats, new and old, and um, the some a ducal army. So it just, I loved it. Now, let's rewind a little bit, rewind, and go back to the scene where the they go to the rock. And the great coats are these traveling magisters who answer to no one but the king, and they are basically traveling judges. So they go, they hear the work, the words of the complaints of the common folk, and they answer it where a local judge or jury has failed. Or, you know, just like the Duke was like, oh, I'm just going to kill this peasant because he is annoying and not pay the family or like restitute anything. And then the great coat would go in and, and solve that problem, whether through murder or through jury and restitution. Usually, you know, violence is their last answer. But they uh he has presented Aline, his little the girl he is taking care of at the rock, and said that, you know, hey, she made it, and the Duke there is saying, No, I'm gonna make Blood Week one more day, and you're gonna they're gonna kill her and you're not gonna make it, and it's wrong. And this 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 very impassioned scene where Fauci's like, you know, the Blood Week isn't even from you guys. Like, it's from the East, where he brought it from. He thinks it makes you better, but it makes you weak. And, it may, you know, do you feel stronger because of the Blood Week? And it's like, when there were invaders to the West, what did you, you know, what happened? You know, they met the Rock. And when there were invaders from the North, what happened? You know, they met the Rock, and they couldn't break the Rock. And we held out, and, you know, and then he just keeps going. It's like, you know, everywhere else in the country that I go, a week is seven days, and the Blood Week already lasts for nine, you know. How are you going to feel when the blood week lasts all year around? And it was intense. It was 
so good. And then he calls, you know, he, he spreads some little bit of gold around. He's like, I need to call 12 people to be my jurors, people who remember my verdict and, you know, pass it on and keep it alive in your memory. Just so amazing. It's an amazing scene in this book. Now, if I wanted to talk about my favorite scene in this book, not my favorite scene, this is one of my uh, my favorite, favorite tropes. And it's uh, it's not like a weird, weird one, but it, it's the trope of the really righteous, powerful anger where, you know, they know what they're doing is right, but they are super angry about it. And they're basically an unstoppable force on the way to their destination, whether they reach their destination or are persuaded a different way by something else is, you know, that's near the end of it. But so when Falcio, as a young man, is married to Aline, a different Aline, and his wife goes with the king and the duke because um, they require it and they, you know, for naughty stuff and they're just horrible people. And then he finds her dead and he basically just was like, I was in a haze, you know, I walked, I fell asleep, I slept. Somebody must have fed me because he didn't starve to death on my way there. But I walked with this bloody, you know, single-minded purpose that I'm going to get in and kill the king. And just, you know, he is an unstoppable force until he meets with King Palas, who is the king's son. And not even, like, a healthy person. He's just a weak person. And then they start the Great Cloaks together. So it was, that's one of my favorite tropes um, in all the genres is just this powerful, righteous anger. It's so much fun. Now, let's talk again a little bit more. The person they're riding in their caravan with is Valiana, and she is the fake daughter of the Duchess, the Duchess of Herbor, and she turns out is not actually her daughter, but she has been raised to believe she was her her daughter so that she could pass all the tests in order to cement the Duchess's daughter's claim as the like a new queen in order to give the dukes and the duchesses absolute power to prevent another king from ever coming up. Now, Valiana is obviously devastated and she ends up joining the great coats, great coats at the very end. It was, it was good. I love it that she's been lost all of her purpose. She has lost, you know, everything she thought she wanted to be a good ruler, even if she didn't like really know anything or like know enough. And she joins and then, you know, they off to fight and she does her best and she promises that she will protect Aline, you know, uses the same, what is it, oath that Falcio uses when he swears his first oath to King Palas. Now, this book has a lot of flashbacks and I thought they were very well placed and very well written. They enhance the story, they keep it moving forward, but they help you kind of reel back a little bit of that tension that you're feeling in the main story. So I, I really like all the flashbacks that we see with King Palas and with the just following Faustio and learning everything we learn about the leading up to the execution of the king and the disbanding of the great coats. Now, I, I just forgot this one thing. This is one other little thing that I felt like was this is a little, very little nitpick, is that sometimes the little the girl, Aline, sounded like she actually knew who her real father was. Um, again, this is the spoiler section, so if you haven't read, I would stop. But Aline is 
the son, the daughter of King Pelus, that he was courting the lower nobles, basically meaning he was running around and doing the deed with a bunch of lower nobles so that his bloodline would never run out and that they could have a true king or you know queen on the, the throne that was not a puppet to the dukes and duchesses. So the jewels or the king's shutouts, king's jewels are his kids. They finally find that out. But half a lot of times, Alina's like, you know, oh, you know, don't you know anything? Like, but I can't tell you. It's very coy that she, like, sounds like she knows something about her parentage that Falcio is missing out on. And then is it turns out she doesn't know anything at the end when it's actually revealed to her. So that is, you know, that, that's another just minor, minor nitpick. Now, the sword fighting. I thought the sword fighting was just magnificently written. It is, it's always told from Faccio. He's always talking, like explaining it to you. And it never really felt out of place to me while I was reading it. But I could see how me saying you, me would make you sound like, oh, maybe it's not, doesn't sound good. But it, it actually does work really well in the story itself. I love that they, he talks about like the way they do it and the practicing they've done. It really makes it all believable, and I love just listening to him kind of narrate the sword fight as it's happening to you, to the reader. And I just, I really enjoyed that part. Now, I'm going to give a couple more of my great scenes. Okay, sorry. One more thing before I go on to, like, all of my favorite scenes. So, the jailer scene. When Faustio has been kidnapped by the Duchess of Herfor, and he's being tortured, and He's like, oh, well, we, we, we know how to interrogate torture. You just talk and you just tell them everything, whether they want to hear it or not. And he's like, I usually start with the first laws. And so he repeats all the laws of the land. But the man is free, that a man has a right to live. And he goes on and he sings them and he talks to them. And he, the jailer is listening and he starts hearing them and he kind of listens. And then he is being tortured some more. And they take him to a fey horse, which is kind of just a mystical wild horse. And a magical, mystical wild horse. There is magic in the book, although it's not from any of our main characters. So it's more of just a soft kind of in the background thing. So, But that's not bad. It does not deter from the story at all. So he meets this horse, and this horse has been brutalized and tortured by the Duchess of Hervor to be just a killing machine trying to make it into a war machine. And he is just screaming at this horse like, no, don't, don't kill Aline. You know, she's of your herd. She's of your herd. Like... We're safe. We're not going to try and kill you. And and the horse chooses not to kill Aline and protects her, you know, a little bit. And then the next day, the tailor comes in and he's like, I'm going to be a man. Like, that horse, he could choose. Why can't I choose? Like, I am not worse than a horse. I am a human. And, oh, my gosh, just, like, his character that, like, he's got very little, like, character work done on him. But, like... It is explained, like, you know, we, we can see it, like, oh, yeah, the first day he just, you know, beat him up. And the next day he's kind of humming the tunes that Faccio was singing. And the next day, you know, he's doing more and they talk a little bit. And then, yeah, it's just so fun and so great. And I loved, I love that whole scene. I already talked about the They Met the Rock and No Man Breaks the Rock scene. But, man, you just get goosebumps when you're reading it. And I got goosebumps thinking about it. It is amazing. Now, seeing all the new great cloaks, great coats appear and come riding out was awesome like you just are like how are they going to fight this army they've only got this many people 
and then all the great coats appear and it's like bam we're here for you we're here to help and i love them the the tailor i love the character as a tailor until like three-fourths to five-sixths of the way through the book and this is one of those things that like i don't know how i missed it the first time i read it because it's very obvious and made very plain that she is the king king palace's mom and i just spaced that i forgot about it the last time i read it and that's the only thing i really dislike i dislike that she is his mom i feel like it really undercuts the mystery and the threads that she's weaving but i love her as a character that she's always like i go where i'm beaded i am a good tailor i am the only tailor you know tailor i know left i know how to weave the threads and i can follow the threads and I can see your thread and your thread and, you know, this is where they're going and I'm going to meet you here, you know, just her planning and her mysticalness and that she wove these great coats and, you know, they've never been able to find all the secret pockets that, that it'll hold and all this mystical powers and this foresight and that she has, you know, it appears in the beginning that she has this grand goal of bringing back the great coats and, you know, in making the world better and, Blah, but then you kind of learn it's just like, oh, it's just revenge for the king, which is like, that's fine because it was obviously your son. But I, I felt it cheapened slash worsened her just a little bit now. Did I still love her? Yes. Uh, that is not an issue at all. I also love the uh, the fight with Kunin, who is another great coat, and he challenges uh, Falcio to a duel, or Falcio challenges him. They do a little bit, and then they back off. And Alita's like, it almost sounded like they were questioning each other through that duel. And they're like, no, that's crazy. Like, if he was, what would he be doing? What would he have said? And he's like, well, it sounded like he said, like, he's just asking simple questions like yes and no's. And, you know, did you do this? And what about this? And then it got really complicated and I couldn't follow it anymore. And they're like, no, that's crazy talk. You know, you're just, you're young. You're seeing things like go back to bed, you know, go hang out over here. And then they turn back to each other, like, okay, what did he say? And he's like, well, this is what he said. But you guys know the sword fighting language is not that complex. It's not that precise. So we have to kind of go with a lot of other things. So I love that. That was just, just a fun little thing to see happen right there. And I think I've really talked about everything that I really, really loved about this book. But there is so much fun to be had in this book. It is a great tale of camaraderie and French. Oh, of course, how could I forget one of the funniest scenes? Kest, the best with the sword, is getting ready to fight the saint whose sword cuts like water. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to die. I can't even see the swing of sword. And, like, good luck. I'm going to try and hold him off as fast as possible. And he, they, they leave, and then they see somebody wearing Kest's greatcoat come up. And they think it's the same because he was like, I want your great coat when you're dead and you'll be dead. And so you won't care. And they're like, okay. And so Faustio's like, well, if Kest couldn't see his sword, I'm not going to be able to see his sword. So I'm just going to close my eyes and like wait for him to get a little closer. And then I'm going to unleash the best swing, you know, I can ever do and just hope, hope. And, he's, and then uh, he's getting ready and Kest is like, that's the weirdest fighting stance I've ever seen. Keeping your eyes closed. And yeah, he beat the he beat the saint, and he's like, yeah. It turns out, saint is just a just a guy, you know, just a guy who's really good at something, and it was just so good and fun, and I loved it. So again, I know I've said it a couple times, but I'm just gonna keep saying it. I 
I really love the Traitor's Blade book. I am so excited to actually read past it this time. Uh, I don't remember why I didn't read them before. I think I just was was reading something else, and the other one kind of took precedence. But super excited to be finishing this out. And that is going to wrap up my discussion of Traitor's Blade. The first book in the Great Coat series by Sebastian de Castell. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. It really helps me out. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can send those to LibromancyPod at gmail.com. So, uh, thanks for that. And remember to search for the magic of books. Mm-hmm.